Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Back and better than ever. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Delighted that you were along for the ride today. Boy, do we have a lot to get to. We just had a spirited edition of Get Up. The football topics could not be better, and it's not just the NFL, but that is where we'll start. Saturday is here. Here we go! Only one place to start. Zach Wilson isn't and will never be a competent NFL quarterback. You've got Trevor Simeon. Why not give him a try? You know, it's uh, like I said, he, he, I don't know. You got me. I'm going to plead the fifth on all this one. That was a man trying to answer a question that is for somebody else. My goodness. I mean, it's that kind of ugly. That's not, I'm not starting there, but I hadn't heard that yet. That's oh. pretty good. That's Jeff Saturday, who's here. Hembo is here. Assembled members of the hashtag crew. Why did you just say? Yeah, no, I did. I heard it. The Sala interview with Michael K. Whoa! What did he say? He 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 stumbled around a question that he's probably been asked a thousand times, and in his own building and outside the building, and that he didn't have a go-to. Even if you call it a standard answer, I mean, he definitely was. You can tell in his mind he's thinking the same thing. He's like. Why, why do I keep going back to this? And it is just getting uh, you, you know, more and more apparent that this is going to be the problem. And, and you made this point when we started the season. It's about keeping your team together. And you saw Garrett Wilson when he had the fumble go to the sideline. Like, that's the thing that you have to avoid. And even with, with Aaron coming back December 24th, all that stuff, man, these next few weeks are going to be – you better hold the fort down. And that's what Solid knows he's got to do. So is the suggestion there – and, and we heard uh, my friend Don LaGreca with the, the end of that quote. I'm sorry, this isn't where I meant to start, but boy, did this jump out at me when I just heard yeah. it there. Um, is the suggestion that this is not Salah's decision to make? Is, is that what Don is saying? We all know, look, Jeff, you were a head coach briefly yeah. in an interim role where, where your, your job was just to keep the ship from completely right. sinking. Right. Uh, the season was already what it was going to be. But generally speaking, you've been around football forever. I mean, how often do we think we are in a situation where the head coach doesn't get to make what amounts to the most important decision he can make? I think more often than you think, right? When you, when you go down the power structure of the NFL and it is general manager and head coach, if they don't see it the same, who ultimately has the final call? And I think when you heard that response, and I don't know this to be fact, but it sounded like a guy who was resolved to the fact that that's going to be his QB, irrespective of what his own opinion might be. Um, and, and again, they could have made a change. I, I didn't think they should make the change after they got Aaron, but as the season progressed, you saw this is going to hit the same crossroads it did last year. Even as he's improving, you could have made a change. If Salah was in there saying that behind closed doors, and then you get past the trade deadline, you come out on Monday night and basically lay an egg and get embarrassed, and you go, man, like we had these conversations and now it's come to fruition, that, that to me is what that frustration sounded like. 
So th- this is why organizational stability is the most important thing in sports. You know, and Jeff, you were on great Colts teams. Yes. I, I mean, that for how, a, a decade at yeah, least. 13 years. You guys oh, were great, just yeah. great every single year. And that is because of the alignment at the top of the organization. Bill Polian, as good at what he did as Absolutely. anybody ever. Tony Dungy. Hall of Fame coach, outstanding coach, and aligned with each other. Then obviously you throw in the most important piece of it, which is that you guys had one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever lived. But those people are all on the same page. That's right. They're all aligned. And once you get into a place where people, and this is not just the Jets right now. No. I, don't, I don't even know what's going on behind the scenes with the Jets. But when you get into a place, and Hembo, we've talked about this a lot we keep using the Bears example of, well, you've got a head coach and a general manager who are fighting to keep their jobs in a year that we're drafting a first-round, trading up to take a quarterback, and, and, and so the organization wants you to play him, but those guys are trying to win games. Like, that never works. Right. It doesn't work. At the end of the day, the head coach has to make that decision. Yep. The head coach has to ha- – because he has a better pulse on your locker room than anybody else. He, it, this cannot be about saving face. This cannot be about appeasing anybody else. If you don't give the head coach the power to run his program, then you are, you are done. And, and the, the issue for general managers and front office in general is these guys get evaluated on the talent they bring into the organization. So you bring in a, you know, you stand on the table for a fourth round pick who becomes a, you know, stalwart in your organization. That's a feather in your cap. So they want opportunities for these guys to be successful, which is human nature. And, and again, that's why you have scouts going and, you know, beating the streets and looking for people. But at the end of the day, if the, if the general manager is trying to keep, hey, this was the second pick, we went out and tried to get Aaron, but we're going to try to get this guy developed, and Salah's understanding, hey, we're, we're going to kind of lose the locker room, that's where the crux of the issue becomes frustrating for a head coach because you can't coach around that position but for so long. So, so that here really is, i tell you what it reminds me of. Boy, this, I, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm sort of jumping all over the place, but this is not where I meant to start, but that just jolted this in my head. The late, great Marty Schottenheimer, who is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your yeah. entire life, he came to work here at one time um, between coaching gigs. And I remember working with him one day, and I, I loved Marty, and anyone who knew him loved him. But the one thing he said to me that I'll never forget that has, has always stayed with me is he said to me, if you're the head coach... And the players are looking over your shoulder. Amen. They might as well fire you right now. Yep. They have to look you in the eye. If they're looking over your shoulder at someone else, you have no chance. That's correct. Let, let me give you. Let me just say this. And again, this is from my experience when I was with the Colts last year. And I've never shared this story, but I'll kind of. So when I took over as the interim head coach, Chris Ballard, who's the general manager, and had been with, had been in Indy, and he he was going to stay in Indy, right? Like they had fired Frank and Frank Reich, and so he was moving on. But but Chris was the general manager and was going to continue. His process is from where he's sitting to develop the team for next year, right? Because he understands, okay, whatever this is, not that you're not trying to win, but it's about player development now. How can we get younger players in? How can we get people that are going to impact our team next year? We might have, you know, salary cap issues that we know we need to move around. As as a coach, that puts you in a difficult position because – you're not going to be as good because you're not putting the the best player necessarily mm-hmm. on the field at that moment. You're trying to develop guys who might not be ready. And I can assure you, it showed up in games for me from time to time, right? And and I knew my role, so it it, it wasn't 
you, you know, I didn't feel like it, it's not like trying to sabotage you. It's just the business, right? The business of developing. And so if Douglas and, and Sala aren't on the same page as far as are we developing or are we winning? What is the, you know, to your point, the pulse of the locker room? How, how hard is it going to be for me to keep this thing together? That's the difficulty. And I will just tell you, it is if, if he felt like they should have moved on from Zach Wilson and they had opportunities at the trade deadline that they didn't pursue, the frustration, and I'm just telling you, Monday was ugly. And not just for Zach Wilson, it was ugly for their whole offense, right? Like you fumble the ball around, your best player drops the ball, you get a punt return for touch. Like all the things kind of spiral. It was an ugly game. But if that becomes your watermark, you're in trouble. And that, that's, I mean, that, that's kind of where I see where this football team is. Again, he, is Zach Wilson getting better? Sure. But, like, what's the upside of Zach Wilson? Is, is this what we're going to – do we think he's going to be a starter in two years? And, and if that, – that becomes the, the difficult decision. I'm just telling you, it's, it's hard because you're playing players that – these guys are playing to win now. And if you're not, if you're not, if everybody's not aligned on that same thing, it's going to be very difficult to go in the locker room. You want to jump in on this, Hembo? I'm just kind of curious if the if the Mike White of it all from last year is impacting any of this because Mike White came in and just because he was not Zach Wilson, right. became like a folk hero in the locker room. They they didn't bring him back this year in part because of that. Greeny, do you think there's from afar? Do we think there's anything to learn from that experience as to whether or not? The front office is saying, no, Zach has to be the quarterback so long as he's healthy. They don't like him. I mean, the players in that locker room did not like him. I think Rodgers changed that. I think, yeah. I, think, I think Zach learned a little bit from Rodgers about how to behave. I don't think the players unanimously dislike him the way they did before. Again, I'm, I'm guessing on mm. all of this stuff. Let me make it clear. People sometimes think that I'm a Jets insider. I'm not. Right. I'm just a fan. I don't talk to anyone there inside. But that was clearly the case a year ago. I don't know that that's the problem now. There is one other factor in all of this that I think has to be raised because if it's not Salah's decision, I'm not saying it has to be Douglas's decision. Correct. I'm not sure everything right now isn't Aaron's decision. I'm not 100% sure that it isn't Rodgers who's basically calling those shots or at least indirectly doing it, which is to say going out and bringing someone in like, how would that play with Aaron Rodgers, who has been known to not... They've done everything. He's done everything right. He's been perfect. He's been, be, he's been better than anyone could have ever imagined. Sure. But they've also met him more than halfway. No doubt. Like, were they, are they concerned that wouldn't play with him? Yeah, I mean, you, you think. So you, you could not bring in, like, even before the Kirk Cousins injury. Like, the Kirk Cousins would have been a massive deal because... Kirk is up as well, right? Like he, he wants it. He wants it. So now you have competing, you know, how fast can he get back from this Achilles? What's going to end up happening? You know, who's taking, who's taking reps, but had he brought in a Josh Dobbs, right? Who, who ends up, we going and, and, you know, going to, if you had brought in a guy like that, you know, that guy's not ultimately going to compete with Aaron next year. I think that would have been an easier fit, mm. but, but if, if Aaron's the guy who's going, no, we, we need to ride with Zach until I can get back, and that's the push, and that's, that's how they have to keep their, you know, their, their organization afloat until he does come back. But I'm just going to tell you, that, that would be, to me, that would sound out of the box because 
Aaron doesn't know that December 24th, I don't care what anybody, he doesn't know for sure the first time he pushes back on the thing, he goes, ooh, it ain't ready. Right? And so why would you hurt your team that could potentially go to the playoffs and do something special? Uh, I, 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 that would be hard for me to see that. He doesn't have to have said it out loud for them to be worried about it. You no, know? no, 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 for they, sure. I, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm just saying that would be a, I would hope that wouldn't happen. Yeah, what's curious is that publicly Aaron Rodgers has said many times, that one of the things he did not like about the end of his Packers tenure is that they didn't give him any control beyond being the quarterback. Right. I would have to imagine that there are a lot of decisions that are being made in the Jets organization that he has a hand, at minimum has a hand in because that's part of the sell. Like that's part of how they got him. Wow. Now, whether or not Zach Wilson is part of that, I, I don't know. I mean, Tim, and neither do I. Tim Boyle is his backup, and that was his guy in Green Bay too. Right. But it's an interesting thought considering Robert Tell is effectively saying this decision is not my own. Well, look, yeah. Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard are obvious, and Nathaniel Hackett are obviously Rogers' Correct. things. Okay, the Greeny with you live from the Seaport District at Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. One more thing. And, and the, the, I love having this show because we get to have a conversation like this. So people ask me about you, Jeff, all the time. You know, I mean, you're a famous guy and you became much more famous last year when you took over the coaching and everything. And, and so I've been thinking about this. If I were to say you were different in any way from the way you were before that experience, I would say you oh. were 99% the same guy I knew. The one difference is I feel like you developed a different appreciation for the job of being a head coach in the NFL, because we've played two sound bites this week of coaches talking that I think you reacted to differently now than you would have before. Am I right? 100%. 100%. I, I am definitely more empathetic to what they're going through. The, 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 the seat I had to sit in, and again, I took the role differently, you, you know, knowing this. I had no say in who my staff was. I had no say in who my players were. Like, like, so, you know, you're at the end of this thing. You're just literally trying to keep, keep it between the lines, right? Like, and so, and I didn't have, I didn't have interest in continuing it until I started doing it. And they asked me to apply for the job, you know, during the season or at the end of the season. So I I went into it with a different uh, perspective, but I will say this, when you sit on that side and you see the different things that these guys are trying to manage and the 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 way that people assign success and failure to these guys is it, my eyes have been opened in a different way. And so, you know, I feel like there are a lot of head coaches who get passes because of of guys that I see play for them that go, dude. This would not be this conversation wouldn't be the same without X player, right? This conversation and then I see guys who get unfairly just put on blast and you go, "Man, like at the end of the day, so so and I'll give you a great like with Belichick and and this you, you know when you to me, when this when the guy and one of the things you brought up, the guy goes, "Are you coaching for your job this week?" Yeah. And I and this is not to disparage that report. I don't even know who the reporter is, okay? But to me, if I'm sitting in that if you're Bill Belichick, bro, you are. You have been to Super Bowls. You have won Super Bowls. You have a guy asking you that that knows literally zero about football. I'm just going to be real. Like it, in the whole context, he may know the outward appearance of football. He know coverage, but you know what I mean. Like really knowing the details of football and going. Do you think you're coaching for your job? This guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame as fast as you can get a guy in the Hall of Fame. I think it's disrespectful. And like when I saw his facial expression, you're thinking. You can fire me at the end of the season. Great, right? Like, I'll go through this with Robert Kraft, and I think that's it. But when this dude is like, are you walking out the door? I was offended for him because I'm thinking this guy has put New England on the map of football, right? Like, like I mean, 
the success that he has had for decades and with Tom Brady, and I get all those things, but man, like, just have some thought process about what, and, and again, maybe this guy, you know, and again, this is not to disparage a reporter. He has to ask hard questions. I get it. But I saw the countenance on his face and I was like, this dude is hearing it and he's going home to it every day. And it's like, wow. I mean, you know, just so my empathy has definitely shifted and changed. And I feel it. And I, I, I will admit it. It's fascinating. Uh, there's, it's nothing to admit. I mean, it isn't anything wrong. When you live through an experience, it changes. No doubt. That's a big experience. It's not a little experience. Right. It's a big experience. And it will change your perspective. I have similar stories, <clears throat> excuse me, from things that have happened to me that I can get into a little bit later. But i got to let you go. You're the best. Thank you, Jeff Saturday. Coming up next, we will dive into the biggest story in sports. Don't miss it on ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Greeny, the podcast. All right, Greeny with you here. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. We're also on the ESPN app. We're on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can watch us on the ESPN app. We have a podcast, both hours available every single day, wherever you get your podcasts. So all kinds of time we can spend together. Uh, the hashtag crew is here. You've heard from Hembo already, Bubba and Cam. Ready to go in Bristol as well. Before I get into um, the the Harbaugh stuff, which I think is overwhelmingly the biggest story in sports right now, and it's all going to come to a head perhaps as soon as today, and certainly no later than tomorrow, um, I I wanted to share a quick thought on what Jeff just said, because it's really interesting. You know, sometimes in life... 
your perspective on things changes so much as you get older. Like when I was young, you're how old? 31? 33. 33. So when I was 33 years old, I, I genuinely thought I knew everything. This is not an insult. I thought I knew everything, and I thought I was going to change the world. Like that, that's the way you feel when you're younger. And, and two things happen to you, or at least have happened to me as I've gotten older. And one of them is I realize all the things I didn't know, and the other is I realize I'm not changing anything. Like the world is going to change, and I am just a tiny, tiny, to use a Mike Tomlin expression today, I'm a pebble in the shoe of the world as it changes. So when Jeff Saturday, who was just in here in a moment ago, uh, a moment ago, talks about how even that comparatively small, very unorthodox opportunity to be a head coach changed his perspective, like that's life. You have experiences in life, and they make you realize sometimes how wrong you were about stuff. And I had that happen to me. I was just telling Jeff, and I, I'll share it here quickly. Like, I've, I, I, I don't know that I've ever been considered like a hot take guy, but I certainly have felt like someone who was more than willing to criticize people when I thought they did a bad job, scream and yell, rant and rave, whatever it is. And then I I had an experience where I was sort of on the other side of that. I've always been the media. The media, certainly, nowadays, the media has become much more talked about. We've become, people who do what I do have become much more famous than they ever were before, at least much more talked about. Social media uh, and all of that has changed the game. When, When Let's just use Mike and Mike as an example. When we first started, no one talked about us. I mean, maybe there'd be a newspaper column written about us once every six months but it certainly wasn't a daily topic of conversation. There weren't blogs dedicated to what people like us do for a living or anything like that. And so now that's all changed. And more, it's more good than bad. More good things have come of that than bad. But, but one of the things that happened is, is that when I started the new show, and Hembo, you're the only person left who was with me when we started it. You'll remember, like, we were under siege. Like, like people were writing terrible things about us every single day. And there was so much going on that people didn't know about, but none of that mattered. I, what I learned from that experience is two things. One, when things are going bad, the, the best thing to do, you really do have to block out the noise. Like when people talk about the noise, and we hear that in sports all the time. And again, I wasn't the head coach of an NFL team. So their noise is a million times louder than my noise ever got. <clears throat> but what I did figure out is... You've got to do everything you can to pay no attention to that. You got to put your head down and you got to do the job right. Like you got to get the thing figured out. You got to, you got to get right what you are getting wrong. And I think we did do that and I'm I'm proud of that Hembo, I'm proud of you and me and everyone else that did it. But more importantly, and for the purposes of this conversation, I think what I did was I developed a little bit of the empathy he's talking about. Like when I nowadays when I see people who are in the center of a storm, if you will, I look at it a little differently because I have a little bit of an understanding of what that's like and I realize how hard it is and I think I do have a little more empathy for um, what what people are going through and and I don't know if it's made me more measured in the things I say or not. I, I hope it has. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think being measured and reasonable in your reaction to the things that you see is, a, is actually a good thing. So anyway, I just wanted to share that because it, it feels important. And I, I, I felt like Jeff was almost ashamed to say what he was saying. And I, I wanted to make it clear, like, I don't think that's a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of strength. No, most definitely not. I mean, evolution in life and accrued knowledge and wisdom is a good thing so long as you use it for a good reason. The quick example that I'll share for my life 
is that I could never understand for the life of me before I had children why other people I worked with that had children couldn't just be on the clock 24 hours a day, responsive whenever I reached out to them, you know, prioritizing their work at every, like every hour of the day. And now what I realize <laughs> is that what's happening at home is way more important to me. And so in that little sense, in that, like, I think I'm, I'm so grateful in part that I had children for that reason because it's given me a new perspective on all things in life. So I think for my, for my own life, it's just that little piece, of, that little sliver of wisdom that I've added. Hopefully that makes me a better guy. Now, Cam has not had time to learn any of these things yet, and Bubba has just chosen not to. <laughs> so um, Bubba is still pretty much the same guy that he was uh, when he was 18 years old, and, and Cam is still 18 years old. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. All right, let's get to the important stuff. Sneaky Big News. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is going to get suspended as soon as today. More likely tomorrow, according to the reporting that I'm seeing. Michigan has today, at some point today, has to respond to the Big Ten's notice of disciplinary action and the overwhelming expectation with all the things that are going on is that Harbaugh is going to get um, suspended. And we did, if you put together our two hours, we, we probably did about 34 minutes of this on TV today because it is just such an important and fascinating story with so many tentacles. So the first thing I did was I asked Heather Dinich, our insider, who's terrific, to just lay out the most important stuff And here's how she did it. Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti has the authority for a standard suspension, which is up to two games and a $10,000 fine. But he can absolutely do more than that as long as he has the approval of an executive board. And my colleague Adam Rittenberg, his sources are telling him that it is likely it is more than two games and that that executive committee, which is comprised of some Big Ten officials, would rubber stamp that. Now, there are a lot of unknowns and it still has to play out, so we'll see what happens. But regardless of what happens, it's important to note that the Big Ten sportsmanship policy says that Michigan is not allowed to challenge whatever punishment is levied against it by the Big Ten. So there are so many tentacles to this because there's now the news stories that um, Ohio State and Rutgers allegedly shared signals with Purdue before the Big Ten championship game, which either is or isn't, depending on your perspective, the same thing that Michigan is getting in trouble for. And should the team be allowed to go on and play? Should just the coach not be allowed to go? There's a million directions this thing should go or can go. Should this all be against the rules? Should it not be? Is it much ado about nothing? Is it an overwhelming advantage? There are so many questions. Let's get to the one that I think is most important to the fans. If the commissioner of the Big Ten, whose name is Tony Petiti, who was a very highly respected executive around sports for a long time, came from baseball, um, but has only been in that role for the equivalent of 15 minutes. He just got there. If he has evidence that has been given to him that the rules were definitively broken, And we understand that in college football, whether a coach knew about it or not is not material. The coach is responsible for everything that happens in his program. What should the commissioner do? That's the question. So I'm going to ask each of you, and by that I mean Hembo, Bubba, and Cam, I'll start with you. If if you are sitting in judgment and you are, you are holding in your hand a piece of paper that gives you as much evidence as you feel you need, you know for sure that there are rules and they've been broken. You can wait until the NCAA can f- finishes its investigation. 
You can act immediately. You can levy a two-game suspension. You can go for more, which Heather just said could be rubber-stamped. I suppose, in theory, you could actually remove Michigan from the equation. You could say, we're not going to let Michigan be bowl eligible, in which case the playoff committee would then not consider them for the championship. They've made clear that if Michigan is eligible for a bowl, then they will rank them based on what they see on the field and nothing else. Cam, what would you do? I think there's too much pressure from other Big Ten schools and people in the Big Ten to just wait until the NCAA finishes their investigation, which could take until 2026, based on how long these things usually go for them. And two games seems like almost nothing compared to what we've been hearing about how serious these are and how outside the box uh, what Michigan is doing to steal these signs, as we've heard so many times about our friend Connor Stallions. I think what I would do and what I think is going to happen is Harbaugh will be suspended at least you know, rest of the season or, or something like that, maybe even through the playoff. I think they're not ineligible for the playoff, but if they get there, they just have to do it without him. To be clear, Stephen A. is suggesting that in the interest of fairness to all, they shouldn't allow Michigan to compete for the championship this year. Paul Feinbaum didn't go that far. He believes Harbaugh should be suspended, but that the team should be able to go on and compete without him. Bubba, what do you believe? I mean, I think if I'm the Big Ten commissioner, the the big the thing you got to think about is the Big Ten is a business, and Michigan not being in the college football playoff is hurting the Big Ten tremendously. The amount of money they're getting from the big the, the college football playoff is tens of millions of dollars. So I'm waiting till the end of the season, letting it play out, letting the season go. Because if they suspend Harbaugh, they might not make the playoff. Things could go off the rails. And so you want as many big team, Big Ten teams in the playoffs. So I'm waiting until the end of the season, gathering all the evidence, figuring out who's cheating, what teams are cheating, and then levying and whatever it is. Because I don't want to hurt the players. I want to hurt the coach more than anything. So I'm waiting until the end of the season and then gathering as much evidence as possible. Because right now I think it's, it's very possible that it's more than just Michigan doing this. So I don't think it's fair to just go after Michigan when there might be other schools that are doing different things. So I'm waiting until the end of the season and letting it play out. So that's one vote for do something now. That's another vote for wait it out. Hembo? I'm doing two things. The first thing I'm doing is suspending Jim Harbaugh indefinitely. We've only had three weeks so far to gather information. We've gathered a lot of information in three weeks, which means as you continue to pile things onto this, onto this desk, I think more and more damning evidence is likely to come out. So I think suspending him for an indefinite period of time is the way to go. And the second thing I'm doing, if I'm the Big Ten, is I'm putting some kind of independent person or independent governing body like in the building at Michigan and saying, we're supervising everything that you're doing the remainder of the season because we don't think things are on the level. And at least in the here and now, you guys can keep playing. You're eligible for the bowl games. You're eligible for the college football playoffs. We're not going to penalize your players for this. But the coach is not coaching at least, well, indefinitely, maybe for the rest of the season as a result. And we're also going to make sure we're monitoring your behavior because, look, if you break stuff when I leave the house, you deserve to have a babysitter there. So here's the I, – I, I appreciate all of these perspectives, and I think it gives everyone – some idea of just how complicated the issues in front of us are because you can you are 100% justified in every one of these positions. So Dominique Foxworth was on TV with us today, and he was at one time the president of the National Football League Players Association. And he talked passionately today about the importance of due process. When you make a decision, if you make a decision like the one you're describing, Hembo, I'm not telling you I disagree yet. I'm thinking it out, and I'm doing it out loud. If you make that decision, are you now putting yourself in a position where the precedent is 
If a bunch of schools come forward with pitchforks, have you ever seen the movie Young Frankenstein? That's where I'm getting this example. The monster is in the castle. And all of a sudden, the, the villagers, the townspeople are coming, and they've got, you know, f- they've got fire torches, and they've got, they've got uh, pitchforks, and they're going to come get the monster out of the castle. The villagers are coming. That, that's what I'm envisioning here. This is Ohio State, and this is all the, whoever else it is that's bringing these accusations forward. If, if you all of a sudden suspend Jim Harbaugh without whatever would constitute due process, well, what's to say that that doesn't become the standard. So now the next time, let's just go to the the ACC. My old friend Jim Phillips is now the commissioner there. And now all of a sudden, Dabo Sweeney is in the same position. We've got accusations from Florida State and from North Carolina and from NC State. We think Dabo Sweeney is doing this. Well, until we know for certain, let's put Dabo Sweeney on the temporarily suspended list. What do they call it? The commissioner's exempt list in the NFL? Mm -hmm. So the college football equivalent of the commissioner's exempt list, just to make sure nothing, you know, just to make sure you don't get to continue unfairly succeeding until we know all the details here. And then we go on. Like I think this, you're setting a very difficult precedent that the expression slippery slope is one I've never really liked, but it does really apply here, and that would be my concern. Yeah, uh, the reason I don't like precedent here is because this is unprecedented. This is the only thing of its kind. We've not seen anything, at least not to this extent, happen in college football. Like the comparison that I'll make is this. Do people steal signs in football and have for years? Of course. And so a few years ago, I think it was in 2017, Major League Baseball levied a small fine against the Yankees and the Red Sox for having Apple watches in the dugout. Okay? That was very different from when they laid the hammer on the Houston Astros for taking that sort of advantage and blowing it out of the water, blowing it out of proportion. And the reason I'm willing to go here is because if I know and other people in the media know because we've heard that there's a lot beneath the water here, like this is just the tip of the iceberg. The, 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 um, the Titanic had a 45-minute heads up. Right now, we're still in the 45-minute window because there are going to be a whole lot more things over the next few weeks and few months and potentially few years that we learn that we'll definitely look back on and say, yeah, we probably didn't go far enough if we just suspended him for two or three games. So, so bear in mind, we have two investigations, I guess, going on at the same time. The NCAA is investigating this. Now, we know they move, to use your previous analogy, at a glacial pace. They move (laughs) as quickly as an iceberg. Um, The Big Ten is now being asked to move at what would be, by the standards of this sort of thing, a lightning-fast pace. Mightn't somewhere in between those two things actually be the best solution? Here's here's the, the piece of this that I find myself thinking about. We know what the media has reported, and we have excellent reporters on this, Adam Rittenberg and Heather Dinich, and I see uh, Dan Wetzel, who's a, a reporter I like a lot, has a bunch of stuff on this, and all the others who are covering this. We don't know everything they know. Uh, I, by them, I mean Tony Petiti or anybody else. He may have information that none of us have heard yet. Some of it may be exculpatory. My gut feeling is it's not, because we probably would he would have shut this down if he had that. So we think we know everything. We probably don't. There's probably stuff we don't know yet. And I don't know when we're likely to find it out because Tony Petiti might lay out a decision without laying out all of the evidence that he has. This is a fascinating story. And it is not just because the bluest of blue blood programs is in the center of it. No pun intended because they're go blue. But 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 
also because of the precedent that it could possibly set. This could change college football on some level as we know it forever. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. We'll have more on this as we go. It's time for today's radio trivia question. The TV one was outstanding today. Give me the radio one. We're going to talk some baseball coming up. So my question today is this. Who is the only pitcher in the history of the New York Yankees to strike out 2,000 batters with a team. The only pitcher in Yankees history to record 2,000 strikeouts as As a a Yankee. Good question. Answers next, ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. All right, Greeny with you here on ESPN Radio. Your chance to be a part of Greeny Nation is on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. It's not college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. Hembo had a great trivia question on TV today, and I believe Dominique got it right because he saw what was on that board. So, so to be clear, we had the Chicago Bears logo in a monitor, and it was related to something else. But I pointed it out to you because I thought it was there because it was the answer of the trivia question, and I was trying to get you to block it. And Dominique overheard that, and I think he saw it. And mm. I think that's why he guessed it. The question was... Who was the first team in NFL history to win at least 14 games in back-to-back seasons? And it was the 85 and 86 Bears. I got my guess was wrong. I, I guessed the uh, 49ers. I don't I don't say my guess out loud, but in my own head, I was wrong. But I'm ashamed of because I was there for the 85 and 86 Bears. I forgot how good they were the following year, and then they lost to Washington in the playoffs. But it, the Bears logo was up on that wall, and I think that's why Dominique got it right. So that taints his victory, you think? Tainted. Big time. So the only three times it's ever happened, the 85-86 Bears, the 89-90 and 90 49ers, which was your guess, right. and then the 03 and 04 Patriots. The only three times. But both the Chiefs and the Eagles could do it this year if they get to 14. Anyway. Crazy, it's only been three times. I yeah. would have thought it would have been. Well, the schedule went to 16 I mean, games yeah. in 78, so it could only have happened. That's, that's fair, but I would have thought. Yeah. You know. the, the 72 Dolphins would have been the only team ever to win 14 games in, a reg- in any one regular season until then. Uh, no one else went 14-0. and 0. 
there, the unbeaten teams before them were not playing in 14-game schedules. There was a team like in the 20s or 30s that played that many games when the schedules were uneven. I think the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, if memory serves. Okay. But that wasn't going to be the they answer. Just, they so were playing it, anyone who, who came to uh, face yeah, them. If that so. had been the answer, we would have had a real issue with Dominique they destroyed today. the Pottsville Maroons. <laughs> okay. That, that said, today's uh, radio trivia question is different. Uh, who is the only pitcher in Yankees history to record 2,000 strikeouts with the team? All right, so I'll go first, guys, gladly, because to me it just feels like there's one obvious guess. 2,000 strikeouts is a lot. So you, you, it cannot be – I just don't think there's any way it could possibly be a relief pitcher. So it has right. to be a starter, and it has to be a starter who pitched for the Yankees for at least 15 years. So I can think of two people that fall in that category right off the top of my head. I'm going to guess the one that I think is the most obvious – which is Whitey Ford. I think Whitey Ford is the greatest starting pitcher in Yankee history. And, and the only thing that makes me nervous is that it feels like it's too obvious a guess, but I can't think of a better one. I, I don't feel good about saying Andy Pettit, so I, I'm going to say I'm going to say Whitey Ford is my guest. Bubba. Ah, yeah, I was thinking Whitey Ford again was the obvious one. Andy Pettit. I'm going to go someone who was there for a decent amount of time too, Ron Guidry. Gidry. So we got a vote for Gidry. We got a vote for um, Whitey Ford. What is Brandon had one? Brandon Mm -hmm. also said Gidry. That's another vote for Gidry. Okay. And finally, Cam. My recency bias is showing I'm going CC Sabathia. Oh, no, no. That's a terrible. I'm not even letting you do that. How long did he pitch for the Yankees? Long enough to be high on this leaderboard. Really? I mean, I remember Sebastian on two other teams. Right, he Sebastian pitched there for the 10 years. 2009, right? Don't yeah, disparage he was on the Yankees Sebastian. for a long time. I'm not disparaging I, anyone. I don't okay. think it's right, but it's not a laughable I guess. I will say this. If CeCe Sabathia was there long enough to compile 2,000 strikeouts, I would be surprised. If the answer is CeCe Sabathia, this is going to be embarrassing. Go ahead. The correct answer is... Andy Pettit. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let me give you the top, uh, top five. So none of us guessed Pettit? No. Oh, my God. That was the other obvious yeah, one, I and none Pettit of us guessed it. too obvious, too. I, I thought I th- it was either Whitey Ford or Pettit. Go ahead. Here's the leaderboard. Andy Pettit had 2,020. Whitey Ford had 1,956. Oh, my God. Ron Guidry had 1,778. All right. And CC Sabathia had exactly 1,700 strikeouts. All right. I was so right. we got How two, three, years did Sabathia pitch for the Yankees? He pitched there for 10 years. Wow. Oh, 09 to 19, right? 11 years, yeah. I, God, I'm getting wow. old. I mean, I, I feel like Sabathia was there for the comparative blink of an eye. What is wrong with him? He me? didn't get 2,000 for the Brewers, but. <laughs> and where was he? He got traded to Milwaukee, Cleveland. like mid. He was Cleveland. Yeah, he was in Cleveland. Then he got traded to, to, to Milwaukee and, and, and was brilliant for them for like half a season, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Milwaukee CC is my favorite CC. Yeah, I mean, he was there for a short time, remember? Mm-hmm. And he was becoming a free agent and Fish he was willing day. to go do, do that for that team, yep. even mm-hmm. though everyone knew he wasn't staying there. That's when everyone fell in love with CC Sabathia. Okay, we were going to do, we, we, it was a Yankee question because there's just a bunch of Yankee stuff today that the world seemed to explode about. Oh, quickly, Cam, standings. I am 10 and 19. Bubba is 8 and 21. You're 6 and 23. Brandon's 2 and 6. Mark Cuban's 0 and 1. Okay. So that's where we stand. I'm not sure we have to include the losses, by the way, in the, in the leaderboard. Like, we don't have to do the full standings. I no, think we, we should do the standings. You like the full number of wins and losses? I, I do because it gives people an indication of just how badly we've done at this. Well, I mean, if I'm you just say questions. we have six wins. There's no multiple choice here. You got, I mean, you shouldn't get half of them. No, like, well, I, and we're certainly not. So that's <laughs> working out well. You don't have to worry about that. Quickly, I got a minute for you for your take on all the Yankee stuff yesterday. Yeah, I, I think that Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman right now are, are kind of talking um, like they have a good baseball team. 
and they don't have a good baseball team. Hal Steinbrenner said yesterday what ailed them last year is that they didn't bunt enough and that they need to bunt more, which is obviously a ridiculous thing to say when assessing last season because bunting almost never helps you score runs. And then Brian Cashman uh, basically said, uh, I think we're really bleeping good, uh, which you are just not. The Yankees are coming off of an 80-loss season in which they were leaped by three different better and younger teams within their own division. They've got nearly $200 million on the books for next season with a bunch of old players. They don't have a single good left-handed hitter in a lineup where the ballpark is desperately pleading for one. And so I don't see an obvious way in which things are going to get better in Yankee land all that soon, but they're talking like they have an awfully good team. Well, here's the thing. When things go badly, the answer is always, whether it's right or wrong, fair or not fair, the criticism that you're receiving, the answer is, we know we've got to be better. The fans are upset. We're even more upset. And it is, I, am go- I will not rest until this team is back where the fans want it to be. That's the only answer. Yeah, and they took a very like, defensive kind of outlook yes, on things. Yes, they did, and, and I that's just, a mistake. I found it to be very unflattering. I found it to be very unattractive because no one in the fan base sees that team the way that you do. And honestly, if you even take an objective look at things, you can't even get yourself there. They don't have a bunch of good young players. The farm system isn't that good. Their best players are old or really, really expensive. Like, the Yankees are actually in real trouble. What Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner should say is, we're not going to leave any stone unturned. We're going to use every advantage we can to, to, to make Yankee Nation proud. And for some reason, they're acting like they're calling it on WFAN. I thought okay. you were going to say the answer is, when you have issues, you've got to bunt more. I <laughs> thought that, such a I thought ridiculous was your, your, answer. No, that was the answer. You've got to bunt more. The, the only answer is the fa- we the fans are nearly as frustrated as we are we are we hear them because we feel that way and we are going to we will not rest until we make this team exactly what the fans expect and we expect that's the only answer you don't have to mean it <laughs> but but that's the only answer you never win that fight that's not a fight you win whether you are in Frankfurt, uh, or whether you are in the biggest media market in the country. We're back in a flash on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN. And also available wherever you get your podcast.